You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives these words, familiar and yet in some ways still foreign. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. When I was um, between my sophomore and juniors of, of college, I went home for the summer and met with a couple of college friends, and we did something we had been looking forward to for a long time. We loaded backpacks in a Jeep. We went way up in the mountains. We went to the very end of a very long, very rough road. We shouldered our backpacks, and we began a hike, um, and we hiked for several days, and we would camp under the stars, and we would fish and swim in the lakes, and um, we had a great time. When we left the parking lot, we loaded down, we had what we needed, we were in good spirits and ready to go. I had one large water bottle. I also knew where the springs were along the trail that day. I was ready. And then maybe a half mile, maybe less, maybe a half mile down the trail, I felt my back very cold and wet. And I realized that my water bottle had a big hole in it and all the water was running out. Well, I drank what I could as fast as I could and decided I'll be fine. I'm tough. We're good. So we hiked on to the next spring. And my friends said, we'll just share. We'll be okay. By the time we reached the first spring, we had all been out of water for a while. And finally, we came to the spring and realized that after three years of drought in that part of the country, this spring was just dry sand. But we looked at our maps and we looked at each other and we said, we'll keep going, we'll be fine. We'll just go to the next one. And so we headed on, this time without water. And it happened again and again. We reached the point on that, on that trip where we didn't have anything to say to each other. We didn't have anything to talk about. We weren't thinking about anything other than water. We walked for miles. We walked for hours. Nothing. Nothing. Finally, we found, this is the only person we saw in an entire week, we found another hiker coming our way. He wanted to stop and talk. He was a researcher, a geologist, who was living the whole summer way back in the backside of nowhere. 
He was, I guess he hadn't seen people in a while. He wanted to chatter. We did not want to chatter. We had one question for him. Where is the next water? That's all we cared about. Most of us don't know what it's like to be really thirsty. We think we are, but we also know we can walk within 50 steps, we're going to have water. Jesus is talking to people who grew up in a, who lived in a desert environment, who knew that water was necessary for life and knew what it was like to be thirsty. And he says to them, blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is a short text, 10 words, Greek text. It's a simple text, maybe deceptively so. And I want us to just slow down this morning and take a look at this. Jesus starts this by saying, you're blessed, you're blessed. Now blessed is a word that's kind of familiar in religious circles and used almost nowhere else ever. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean what we sometimes think it means, just to feel good. This isn't exactly what Jesus means here. Sometimes we take to be blessed to enjoy great material wealth. You know, if I'm in good shape and I, my health is good and I have no financial worries, I'm blessed. I got the good things of life. Well, I do think that we should see health and we should see our provisions as gifts of God. Great. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, to be blessed in this context, it's just really simple. It's really straightforward. He means one thing. He means to be approved by God. He means to enjoy the approval of Jesus. And this is really significant because I think for some of us, we don't worry about these things enough, but for some people, you could never meet the expectations. You never feel like you're doing enough. You're never quite reaching these unspoken demands. Some of us feel burdened and defeated. We just can't get there wherever there is. We just can't ever reach the place where we might really be approved. And here Jesus talks about the Holy One, and he does not shrink away from using the language of being blessed. He does not say you are tolerated. He does not say that you're annoying, but he'll put up with you a bit longer. No, he says that the person who hungers and thirsts is blessed. He says the one who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the one who is desperate, is approved by God. Notice who he says is blessed here. Notice again what he does not, as well as what he does say. To be blessed is not, in his context, to be part of some special group, special religious group or special ethnic group or special social group. There's nothing to do with it. He does not reserve this category for those who have already arrived, who have already made it, who are already full. No, he reserves this for those who hunger and thirst, who don't have it, who don't have it and know they don't have it who don't have it and know they don't have it and admit they don't have it, 
who don't have it and know they don't have it and admit they don't have it and long for it. And he says that they are blessed now. No, there are two parts to this. There is a future aspect. Don't miss this. They shall be filled. But there is also a present right now aspect to this. Those who are desperate are approved, are blessed by God. Jesus refers to those who are blessed and he refers to righteousness. And again, this is another church word. Sometimes used a lot in churches and sometimes almost no currency elsewhere. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about righteousness? Here's a couple things to keep in mind. First, he talks about this being a derived righteousness. It comes from someone else. As one of the powerful preachers of the earliest church says, Jesus does not say, blessed are those who cling to their own righteousness. Rather, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. Blessed are those who don't have it. Blessed are those who are desperate for it. And he draws this contrast in here in the Sermon on the Mount. He contrasts this with those who perform what look like acts of righteousness, even prayer, even doing good deeds, but those who trust in themselves and their own goodness. And he says instead, unless your righteousness, unless your justice, unless your justice and your righteousness surpasses those of the scribes and Pharisees. And what he's doing is he's pointing out the utter bankruptcy of our own resources. He's pointing out how futile it is to try to be just or righteous on your own. What he's saying is the righteousness that God offers to us in Christ is just that. It is the righteousness of God that's extended to us. It is from him and for us. It is not what we get going. It's not what we produce. It's not what we can claim. It's not what we can brag about. It is from God for us. And it is a real righteousness. Now, Paul, in the later New Testament, has this wonderful teaching about being pronounced righteous or just. Justification through grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone is the way we refer to it. And this is about being positionally righteous. And that's true, and that's wonderful, and that's very powerful. That isn't what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about here is real change in us. What Jesus is talking about here is the righteousness of a holy life. What he's talking about here is real fundamental change, newness and wholeness, genuine, actual holiness. He's not talking about having your legal status changed. He's talking about us, you and me. He's talking about us really being just, really being righteous. It is not something from us, but it is something for us. And lastly, when he's talking about righteousness, Let's be clear, he's talking about an all-encompassing grand vision of righteousness. He's talking here about both commitment 
and obedience. He's talking here about what we could refer to as personal holiness and also what we might refer to as social holiness. He's talking about He's talking about you in front of a screen late at night. And he's talking about our life together, seeking justice. He's not just talking about your own personal private life. And he's not just talking about changing the world. He's talking about all of it. He makes these connections explicit, powerfully, sometimes painfully explicit right here in the Sermon on the Mount. What does righteousness mean? Well, it has to do with prayer, as he says in the next chapter. And it has to do with giving of alms, care for the poor, as he says immediately following. It's not saying, well, you don't do enough to help yourself. Yeah, isn't that true? But isn't that true of all of us? What Jesus is talking about has to do with inner intentions. He talks about lust. He talks about hate. And it has to do with outer actions. It's all-encompassing. It concerns both matters of the heart and matters of our broader life together. As the New Testament commentator D.A. Carson says, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness cannot be satisfied with only personal righteousness or only social justice. What Jesus calls us to, what he is talking about, is something all-encompassing. It's something that's real. It's not a legal fiction. It's not something that sounds good but makes no difference. It's not something that happens to us after we die. What he's talking about is a righteousness that he intends, that he wants for us, that he wants for us more than we want for ourselves now. And he says, blessed are those who are desperate for it. We talk about being hungry and thirsty. And usually it means in my context that it's maybe been a couple hours since I snacked last. We talk about being thirsty and it means I forgot my water bottle or I need another diet Dr. Pepper. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the reality of desperation and awareness that I can't go on without this. We won't make it without it. He's talking about this picture of genuine desperation. He's talking about a willingness to admit we can't keep going this way. We can't keep making it like this. We've got to have it. You know, on our trip through the Bighorn Crags in central Idaho, these massive mountains that that year were so dry, in our trips up and down these canyons, in the dry, dry conditions we were in. We reached a place where we didn't talk about anything and the only thing we were thinking about was where is that next water? And then we found the one guy we talked to all week. And when we met him on the trail, he wanted to chat. We didn't care. We had one question. Where's the next water? And he said, you keep going. And you've got to keep going. And then he told us where to look. And he said, you'll come around the corner of the mountain. And he said, below you, there's the remnants of a small glacier. And that's all he needed to say, because we knew what would be coming out of that glacier. 
And so we kept going. And we kept going. And finally we reached that place. And we jumped over the side. And we slid down the side of that mountain. And we got down underneath that glacier. And we laid under there and we drank and we drank and we drank and we drank. And this morning, I'm like the guy on that trail. I'm like the guy on that trail who meets people who are desperate and says, there it is. I don't have it. I don't have enough. But it's there. Brothers and sisters, I don't think I need to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. What we have in this world is not working. We talk a lot about justice. We don't see very much. We talk a lot about doing the right thing. We talk a lot about finding righteousness or justice. It's not working. Blessed are those who are desperate for it. I was able a few years ago to um, give some sermons and lectures in South Korea. Seoul is a gorgeous city. It's an amazing place. I love my time there. I also was thrilled one day to have a, a little time off. I had one day off. And they said, your schedule's empty right here. You can go. And so I went. And they said, you can visit the city more. You can play around. I said, we're only, what, 40 or 50 miles from the demilitarized zone? I said, I'd love to see the DMZ. Maybe that's weird, but I wanted to. So they said, no problem. So they put me on a bus and I went on a tour bus up to the demilitarized zone, the border between North and South Korea. It is, uh, it is an eye-opening experience. I walked down into the tunnels that the North Koreans had dug under the demilitarized zone in preparation for an invasion. I saw a lot of things. But one of the things that caught my attention was this. At one point, the demilitarized zone is fairly narrow. And at one point from the south side, you can climb a hill. And on top of the hills, you can, you're at an observation point. And at that point, you can look all the way across into North Korea. And so I climbed up there and I looked over into North Korea. It's one of the narrowest parts of the DMZ. And you're on a high elevation point where you can see in. Not surprisingly, that's one of the places a lot of the tourists stop. They have binoculars set up there so you can look in. And when I looked in, I looked across and I saw this beautiful, quaint North Korean village. And I looked through the binoculars and I could see beautiful lawns, nicely landscaped areas, quaint, modest, but beautiful little houses, all with picturesque blue roofs. And I looked and I thought, that's, that's nice. And then the guy beside me said, look again. What is, what's missing? And so I looked again. You know what was missing? 
life. And he grinned and he said, what you're looking at is propaganda village. No one lives there. It's like the North Korean set of the Truman Show or something. They put it there so that everyone on the other side can look across and see how great it is. And sure, it's clean, it's neat, it's well-formed, it's in good shape, and there's no life. There's nothing there. It's empty. It's fake. And I walked away from that. And I prayed. Lord, I don't want to be a propaganda village. Brothers and sisters, I don't want us. I don't want Asbury to be a propaganda village. We don't want Asbury to be propaganda village. Oh, everything looks nice from the outside. Our lives look pretty good. But inside, we're full of the things Jesus was warning us about. We're full of lust. We're full of hatred. We're full of envy. We're full of jealousy. There is no righteousness in us. There is no justice here. We say the right things. We virtue signal is with the best of them. We're great at grandstanding. And we're fake and we're empty and we're hollow and it's ugly. We look fine, but we don't want anyone to know what's in our hearts. No more propaganda village for Jesus' people. And that's why Jesus' words are so beautiful to me. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are desperate for what they don't have. Where are you this morning? Are you living in propaganda village? Are you okay with that? Or do you want more? Do you want more in your life? Do you want more in our community? Do you really want to see our world be a more holy and just place? What is it? What is it with you? If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, hear the words of Jesus. You are now blessed. You are now approved by God. And He will fill you.
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the desperate. If that is not where you are at today, let me urge you, let me implore you, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, and he is here today. Ask him to give you a vision of what he can do in your life, what he can do through your life within our community. And know that his promise is for you. If you are in this place, take comfort in his promise. You shall be filled. Let's pray together. Lord, your very goodness overwhelms us and calls us and invites us, challenges us and comforts us. So I pray, Lord, that we will come to know you better and that coming to know you better, we will love you more. And that loving you more, we will hate the sin from which we have been redeemed. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.